All right, now if you would open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 43. Genesis 43. I warn you in advance, I've been fighting allergies or a cold or something. I'm much, much better today than I was yesterday, but hopefully uh, I won't cough and snot around and be a distraction. But if I do, you'll understand what's going on. Genesis chapter 43. We'll read the first 14 verses. And a famine was sore in the land. And it came to pass when they had eaten up the corn which they had brought out of Egypt. Their father said unto them, Go again, buy us a little food. And Judah spake unto him, saying, The man did solemnly protest unto us, saying, You shall not see my face, except your brother be with you. If thou wilt not send our brother with us, we will, uh, if thou wilt send our brother with us, we'll go down and buy thee food. But if thou wilt not send him, we'll not go down. For the man said unto us, Ye shall not see my face, except your brother be with you. And Israel said, Wherefore dealt ye so ill with me, as to tell the man whether ye had yet a brother? And they said, The man asked us straightly of our state and of our kindred, saying, Is your father yet alive? Have ye another brother? And we told him according to the tenor of these words. Could we certainly know that he would say, Bring your brother down? And Judah said unto Israel his father, Send the lad with me, and we'll arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and thou and also our little ones. I will be surety for him. Of my hand shalt thou require him. If I bring him not unto thee and set him before thee, then let me bear the blame forever. For except we had lingered, surely now we had returned the second time. And their father Israel said unto them, If it must be so now, do this. Take of the best fruits in the land in your vessels, and carry down the man a present, a little balm and a little honey, spices and myrrh, nuts and almonds, and take double money in your hand, and the money that was brought again in the mouth of your sacks, carry it again in your hand, peradventure it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise. Go again unto the man. And God Almighty give you mercy before the man. That he may send away your other brother and Benjamin. If I be bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. We'll end our reading there. Let's bow before our Lord together. Our Father, we've gathered here together this evening out of the world from all the different responsibilities and difficulties of this life. We've gathered together tonight to worship thee. And Father, I beg of you that you would not leave us to ourselves, but that you'd give us a word, a word from your heart to the hearts of your people. And Father, enable us to hear. Enable us to set aside all of the the cares and the responsibilities and the goings-on of this life. And for just these next few minutes, Father, let us hear. Let us hear nothing but Christ and Him crucified. Christ our Savior. And Father, thrill our hearts with the sight of Him. Make our hearts be thrilled and calmed at believing Him. And resting in him, knowing that the care of our souls, the cares of our bodies, the cares of everything about us is all in his hand. 
and that he won't make a mistake, that he won't lose one, that he is the all-sufficient, mighty Savior. And what we pray for ourselves, Father, we pray for your people, wherever they might meet together tonight. Father, this dark, dark day in which we live, cause your word to go forth in power as a light in a dark place. Father, if it could be thy will, that you'd cause a revival in the land, that you might call out your people mightily through the preaching of Christ our Savior. And Father, we dare not forget to pray for those that you brought into the time of trouble and trial. They're hurting in body and mind and spirit. Father, we pray you'd give them a special portion of your presence, comfort their hearts in these difficult, difficult times. Now all these things we ask and we give thanks in that name which is above every name, the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Now I've titled the message this, this evening, Christ our Surety. You remember the last time we looked at this passage, Jacob's sons had traveled to Egypt and they brought back corn because the famine was so bad in all the earth. And There was corn in Egypt. There was famine everywhere else, but there was corn in Egypt. Joseph had wisely prepared for it during those seven years of plenty. And when the brothers arrived in Egypt, they didn't recognize Joseph. But Joseph knew them. He knew them right off. And he accused them of being spies. He said, you're not honest men, you're spies. And he kept Simeon there in the jail and sent them back home with corn. And Joseph commanded their money be put in their sacks. That's a picture of redemption. Eternal life. Christ, the bread of life. That's free. It's free in Christ. God's not going to accept our sinful works as some sort of trade for his, for his righteousness and salvation. He's not going to accept our sinful works as some sort of payment of our, our sin debt against him. Salvation in Christ is free. Joseph, now he's kept Simeon there in jail and he sent him home and he said, now I'm not going to sell you any more corn except when you come back, you bring your youngest brother Benjamin with you. And if you do that, if you bring Benjamin with you, then I'll know you're true men. Then I know you've been telling me the truth and I'll sell you corn. If you don't bring Benjamin with you, you'll die of starvation. Well, now some time has passed and Jacob's family's eating up all the corn. They're hungry again. And soon they're going to starve to death if they don't get some corn. So verse 1 of chapter 43, the famine was sore in the land. And it came to pass when they'd eaten up the corn which they brought out of Egypt, their father said, go again, buy us a little food. Now the famine was still sore in the land. That word sore means the famine was strong. It made the situation urgent for they were so hungry. The situation was urgent. They wasn't growing any food. They weren't getting any food. They, the situation was urgent. And you know, that had to be so distressing for them. Can you imagine, not just yourself, not having any food, Watching your children and your grandchildren starving to watch them not have any food. Can you imagine how distressing that that was? But the Lord did that wisely. Something had to make the situation urgent before they'd go back down there to Egypt. Now, Jacob knows this. I, I, I just wonder if Jacob's just trying to pretend like everybody forgot what the man said. You got to bring Benjamin. He said, just, just go buy us a little food. He's just not willing to send Benjamin with those older brothers. He sees what happens when his sons are alone with these boys. Look back at chapter 42. 
Verse 38, when they first told him Benjamin's got to go back down with us, he said, my son's not go down with you, for his brother's dead and he's left alone. If mischief befall him by the way which he go, then shall you bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. Jacob's not willing to let Benjamin go. He loves him. He loves him. Now Benjamin's, Joseph used to be the favorite son. Now Benjamin's the favorite son. Now in the story that we just read, Jacob is a picture of God the Father. And Benjamin, he's a picture of God's elect. Those that the Father loved and chose and gave to his son to save. The brothers are pictures of people out there in the world. And Joseph is a picture of God's law, God's justice. Joseph's got to be satisfied before they have any corn. They got to bring Benjamin to him. Now God the Father has an elect people. He chose those people. He chose to save them because he loves them. I mean, that's such an astounding statement. The Father chose the people because he loves them. He loves, he has the capacity to love sinners. He chose to save those people because he loves them. And the father says, I'm not letting my people go with Adam's race. I'm not letting them follow Adam. They can't be trusted. They can't go their own way. They can't be trusted any more than their father Adam can. All they can do is sin or rebel against me. They can't be trusted to save my people. They can't be trusted to save my, uh, to save themselves. If I leave them to themselves, to, to try to lead themselves and, and find salvation all on their own, if I trust them to Adam's race, my elect will be damned. That's true, isn't it? That's true. Well, what can be done about this problem? You know, the law has got to be satisfied. Joseph has got to be satisfied. He's got to see Benjamin or they'll have no corn. Joseph meant what he was talking about. Now, what can be done about this problem? What can be done about the problem of the salvation of our souls? Huh? God's law must be satisfied. It must be kept and we can't do it. God's justice has got to be satisfied. There's got to be death for sin. There's got to be a death that will atone for sin, pay for sin. And our, our death won't do it. Our blood won't do it. What's going to be done about this problem? Is there a way sinners like you and me can be saved? And God's justice be satisfied at the same time. That's the question. What's, what, what can be done about it? Now, I don't know if you're like me or not. I can't help this. But somebody talks to me about a problem. And I immediately go to problem solving. Now, maybe my ideas won't work. But I mean, I'm immediately coming up with, you know. I, t- I, I forget what we were even talking about one time. Jan brought this problem I started telling solution she said don't tell me anything to do she said I just wanted to tell you what the problem is I said don't tell me what a problem is if you don't want to hear me make suggestions you know just uh, that's man's nature there's a problem God's got to be satisfied what is man's idea what is man how are we going to fix this well the solution the man comes up with by nature is man's Surety. Look back up here at verse 42, verse 37. And Reuben, now he's one of these brothers that represent the people of the world. They represent Adam's race. Reuben spake unto his father, saying, Slay my two sons if I bring him not to thee, and deliver him in, and deliver him into my hand, and I'll bring him to thee again. 
And if I don't, you just kill my two sons. Now Reuben tells his father, I'll be surety for Benjamin. The responsibility to bring Benjamin to Egypt and back is on me. I promise you, I'll bring him back safely. So far, so good, right? And then he says, here's where he goes wrong. If I don't bring Benjamin back, here's how you punish me. Kill my two sons. Remember, his two sons are Jacob's grandsons. Now I just have one grandchild. (laughs) What on earth makes this man think that Jacob's going to be satisfied for the loss of Benjamin by killing two more of his grandsons? That's absurd. I mean, it's just absurd. But you know what? That just shows you what Reuben thinks of Jacob. You know, most people, usually most people think everybody else is just like them. You know, whatever motivates me, that's what I think motivates you. You know, most people think that way. Well, Reuben is so unloving. He's so violent. He thinks killing Jacob, killing his two grandsons is going to satisfy him for the loss. Of Benjamin. That's Reuben's nature. That's not Jacob's nature. That's Reuben. I mean, it just makes no sense whatsoever, does it? The death of his grandsons is going to satisfy him for the death of his one of his sons. Man's idea of a surety will never work. It'll never please God. Look over at Psalm 50. You're the problem that you see with almost all man-made religion, I won't say almost, all man-made religion. Here's the problem. They always think too little of God and too much of themselves. Always. The problem is, by nature, we think God's just like us. Thankfully, he's not. But look what David says here, Psalm 50, verse 16. But unto the wicked, God saith, what hast thou to do? To declare my statutes. What are you doing to declare my statutes? Or that thou shouldest take my covenant in thy mouth. Seeing thou hatest instruction and castest my words behind thee. When thou sawest a thief, then thou consentest with him. And hast been partaker with adulterers. Thou givest thy mouth to evil and thy tongue frameth deceit. Thou sittest and speakest against thy brother. Thou slanderest thine own mother's son. These things hast thou done and I've kept silence. Thou thoughtest I was altogether such a one as thyself. But I will reprove thee and set them in order before thine eyes. God hadn't acted just yet, so men think God's just like us. And that's that's the whole basis of man's religion, isn't it? thinking God's just like us. Would we really think? I mean, this is what men, in whatever heading you want to put it under, what it boils down to is this, salvation by works. That's what men preach. Now, why would we ever think God would be pleased with our sinful works? Do we really think the holy God is pleased if I could start sinning less? If I could start being more morally, uh, outwardly moral. Now, I ought to do that. But do I really think that God's going to be pleased with that? God requires perfection. He doesn't require the best I can do. He requires perfection. 
when we think God's going to accept our sinful works and save us for it, or he's going to accept my sinful works and bless me for it, you know why? It's because we think so little of the holy God. Look at Isaiah chapter 1. You know, people, uh, and you know them, I know them, they're, they're all over the place. People think that their life is blessed because of how religious they are, all the religious activities that, that they're in. Now, do we really think that God's pleased with all of our religious activity? The religious activity we've made up to do, really? Isaiah 1 verse 10, look what God says about that. Hear the word of the Lord, ye rulers of Sodom. Give ear unto the law of our God, ye people of Gomorrah. And this is what he's saying now to the, to the Jewish leaders, the Israel, the leaders in Israel. He's saying you're just as vile as Sodom and Gomorrah. You're cloaked in religion, but you're just as vile as Sodom and Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I'm full of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. When you come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? Bring no more vain oblation. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with. It's iniquity. Even the solemn meeting, even your best, away with it. It's iniquity. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hateth. They're a trouble unto me, and I'm weary to bear them. And when you spread forth your hands, you make the big show of religion. I'll hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Sounds to me like God's not pleased with our outward show of religion, doesn't you? <laughs> now, I know it impresses other men. I know that. But it doesn't impress God. God looks on the heart. You know why we think that we can fool God with all our outward show of religion? Just like we fool one another? It's because we think so little of God. Do we really think that God is pleased with our sacrifices? We, we make sacrifices. I'm, I'm giving up the, the pleasures of this life and, I, and, and instead of that, I'm doing something unpleasant to the flesh so God's going to bless me. Do, really? Let me give a few examples I thought of. You, you know people that say this. Now God's blessed me. And here's why I faithfully tithe 10%. And God blesses me for it. Now you, I know where they got that from, but they didn't get it from the word of God. God says, give out of a thankful heart or don't give at all. That's what God says. Now let me say this about giving. Believers do give. It's not that they should give. Believers do give. And they give not for reward. I say this all the time whenever I, I talk about giving. If you're giving so God will bless you, that's investing. Believers give. They give out of a grateful, thankful heart. I tithe my little 10%. Is God, who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, does he really need my little 10%? Is he going to be real impressed with that? I tell you, the only reason we think God is impressed with that, we think so little of God. Then I know people say this, I do things the right way. I'm not immoral. I don't do drugs. I wouldn't do drugs. I wouldn't cheat on my taxes. I don't commit adultery. I'm faithful to my spouse. And next time somebody's telling you that, listen to them. 
to me, when they say, this is what it sounds like, well, I'd like to do those things, but I don't. <laughs> so God will bless me. You only, the only reason that we think God's impressed with that is because we think so little of God. We think so little of Him that we think He's like us. Now again, by all means, we should be moral people. I mean, I hope nobody's abusing drugs. We ought to be faithful to our spouse. I mean, just how awful to... But why would you want to live your life that way? Why would you want to live your life and all that? Why would you want to? And then there's this. We know folks like this too. Say, well, I know all the right doctrine. I know right from wrong in these things. I know them. And boy, I'd never compromise with people. Boy, if they're wrong on that, just even just, just a little bit of error, I'm going to judge them harshly. Chip, you and I are talking about four service. They're going to argue to death, won't they? And God's going to bless me because I'm so doctrinally straight and I'm out here setting all these other people, you know. You might want to check with the Pharisees on that. <laughs> they had everything right, didn't they? I had all their ducks in a row. Now, again, I can't say this strongly enough. By God's grace, we're not going to compromise the gospel. I don't want to compromise ever. We can never ever, ever, ever compromise redemption in the blood. Salvation by grace alone. In Christ alone. If we compromise that, we take away the glory of God. We take away the hope for sinners. I don't want to ever compromise the glory of our Savior. Do you? In the redemption of His people, we don't want to take away His glory. And if we would, this is kind of the way I I thought about the, the example. If we compromise these things, for whatever reason. It's, it's eating rat poison, isn't it? If we compromise the blood of Christ, we're spiritually eating rat poison. Do we really think God's impressed with us because we didn't eat rat poison today? Emmy, I bet your mama is not going to say, now, Emmy, did you eat rat poison today? And you're going to say, no, she said, good girl. She expects you not to eat rat poison. She expects you not to. She feeds you something better than that. Why do we think God's impressed with us that way? You know why? It's because we have such a low opinion of God. We can never be our own surety. We can't provide a salvation for ourselves and keep us safe. As a matter of fact, of the ten brothers that were there, Reuben, of all of, I mean, of anybody but Reuben could have spoke up, but Reuben is the one that spoke up. and said, send him with me and you can kill my two sons. If I don't bring him back safe. Reuben's already proved he can't do it. Look back a few chapters of chapter 37. Reuben has already proven he's a failure in keeping Joseph safe. This is when Joseph had come out to to find his brothers. Um, Jacob had sent him out to to see how they were doing with, with keeping the sheep. And they saw him coming in verse 20 of Genesis 37. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him, and cast him into some pit, and we'll say some evil beast hath devoured him, and we'll see what will become of his dreams. And Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands, and said, Let's not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that's in the wilderness, and lay no hand on him. And this is why he said that, that later on he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him again to his father. Now Reuben's intention was keep Joseph safe, wasn't he? Well, look over at verse 29. 
And Reuben returned unto the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit. They sold him off to Isis as they were traveling by. Joseph was not in the pit, and he rent his clothes, and he returned unto his brethren, and he said, The child is not, and I whither shall I go? Reuben has already proven he can't be surety for anybody. He couldn't keep Joseph safe at all. And this is what Adam's race has proved. We cannot save ourselves by keeping the law. We cannot satisfy God. We need a whole lot better surety than ourselves. We need a whole lot better surety than our idea. All right, second, that's man's surety. Second, let's look look at God's surety. Back in our text in Genesis 43, verse 3. And Judah spake unto him, saying, The man did solemnly protest unto us, saying, You should not see my face, except your brother be with you. If thou wilt send our brother with us, we'll go down and buy thee food. But if thou wilt not send him, we'll not go down. For the man said unto us, You shall not see my face, except your brother be with you. And Israel said, Wherefore dealt you so ill with me, as to tell the man whether ye yet had a brother? And they said, The man asked us straightly of our state and of our kindred, saying, Is your father yet alive? Have you another brother? And we told him according to the tenor of these words. Could we certainly know that he would say, Bring your brother down? And Judah said unto Israel his father, Send the lad with me. And we'll arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and thou, and also our little ones. I will be surety for him. Of my hand shalt thou require him. If I bring him not unto thee and set him before thee, then let me bear the blame forever. For except we lingered, surely now we'd have returned this second time. Now the key to understanding the whole passage here is verses 8 and 9. For Judah said, send the lad with me. And we'll arise and go that we may live and not die. He's not talking about killing more of his sons. We're going to go that we may live and not die. Thou art also our little ones. I will be surety for him. Of my hand shalt thou require him. If I bring him not unto thee and set him before thee, let me bear the blame forever. Now the ten sons are still there. And the only one that could speak up here is Judah. Judah is a type of Christ. Judah is the tribe that the Christ the Messiah will come through. And he says, send the lad with me. I'll be surety for him. I'll bear the responsibility. It's all on me to bring him back safe to you. And if I fail to bring him back, let me bear the blame forever. Now I know you already see Judah. You see him as a type of Christ here, don't you? Now this word surety has three main meanings. And the first one is what we normally think of when we think of surety. It means to pledge. Judah said, I pledge, I'll bring him back. Well, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, he made a pledge to his Father in the covenant of grace. Before time began, the Son made a pledge to the Father. He said, Father, I'll redeem this people. I'll go find them. They're all lost. They're all dead. I'll go give them life. I'll find them and I'll bring every last one of them back to you. And if I fail to bring even one of them back, all the blame's on me. I'll bear the blame eternally. That's a big deal. If the Lord Jesus Christ fails to bring even one of God's elect back, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they lose all their glory. 
they lose all their credit that had to bear the blame eternally. If the Lord Jesus Christ fails to bring even one of God's elect back to him, the son is going to lose all his glory. He'll lose all of his glory because he alone wasn't enough to save his people from their sin. He alone wasn't enough to find those lost sheep and to bring them all the way home. He wasn't enough. Well, thankfully, our Savior's not like we He's not like us. He's able to do what he pledged to do. He did come, and he did redeem his people from their sin. He paid the price. He's going to find them all. He's going to give them life, and we're going to stumble and slip and fall and fail time and time and time again, but he's going to bring us all the way safely to God. Now, you can trust him to do what he promised to do. This is God who promised. You can trust him. You can trust the eternal safety of your soul to Christ. When the son made that pledge to the father, father, I'll redeem them all and I'll bring them all to you. You know what the father did? Now, this is the father who can't make a mistake. The father trusted Christ. Now, Earl, I just believe if the father trusted him, it'd be a good idea for me to, too, don't you reckon? (laughs) He kept his pledge. Now, the next two meanings of this word bring out the sweetness of the gospel. Second meaning of this word surety means to exchange. Exchange. The Lord Jesus Christ redeemed his people and he brought them back to God in the great exchange. The Lord Jesus Christ traded places with his people. He took their their place. He was made sin for his people. He suffered and died under the wrath of God for that sin. The sin, the death, the suffering his people deserved. Christ took their place and he suffered it. And in exchange, you know what he did? He made his people the righteousness of God in him. He gave them his perfect righteousness. See, Christ, our surety, didn't just make sure his people didn't have to go to hell. He redeemed them by sacrificing himself for them. In their place. He traded places with them. And he satisfied God's. When he died. He satisfied God's justice. And now. God's justice that used to demand our death. Now demands. Our eternal life. God's justice demands. God's elect can't die. Because the substitute already died. In our place. They must be brought back to God. Because Christ exchanged places with them. He redeemed his people by his sacrifice for them. Having loved his own, he loved them to the end. He sacrificed himself for his people because he loved them. Now I know that there is a doctrinal, legal matter, issue, that must be settled in this thing of the salvation of our souls. The price has got to be paid. Justice must be satisfied. I I know that. But how our Savior accomplished that for his people melts the heart of his people. It just melts our heart. Christ exchanging his perfect obedience for the sin of his people and sacrificing himself for them is the greatest act of love we'll ever hear about. Ever. Now thirdly, this word surety means 
to be mingled with. What a miracle that the Lord Jesus Christ would be mingled with his people. He would be mingled with them so much you can't tell the difference between him and them. They're one. And that what he prayed his father that I would be one with them. I, you and me, I and them, them and me, we're all one. So you can't tell the difference. The Lord Jesus Christ made his people part of his body. He calls them his bones, his flesh. So here's how Christ our surety brings his people back to God. He's mingled with them. So that whatever happens to Christ our surety happens to his people. Whatever happens to his people happens to the the surety. So in order to bring his people back to God, our surety became one with his people. He joined himself to them. Well, he can never perish, can he? He's the Holy Son of God. He can never perish. He's eternal. Then his people can never perish either because they're one with him. Now again, that's not just a doctrinal, legal matter. The Son of God lowering himself to be made flesh so that he could be joined to his people, joined to sinful men and women like we are. That's not just a doctrinal matter, is it? That is an act of love and mercy. That's Christ's union with his people. This is the surety that redeems his people and brings them back to God. Look over at Hebrews chapter 7. This is what the writer to the Hebrews was talking about. Hebrews 7 verse 19. For the law made nothing perfect. All that covenant of the law. The law made nothing perfect. But the bringing in of a better hope did. By the which we draw nigh unto God. Skip down to verse 22. By so much was Jesus made the surety of a better testament. He's the surety of a better testament and he's the better surety. Look over in chapter 8 verse 6. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant which was established upon better promises. See, Christ our surety, he's a better surety than anything we could ever come up with, isn't he? He's the surety of a better covenant that's based upon better promises. You know, that first covenant had a promise, didn't it? It had a promise. You obey the law perfectly, you live. That's a promise. But it's not a very good promise, is it? <laughs> not to somebody all we can do sin. Christ, he's the, the surety of a better covenant based upon better promises. The promise of God to his people is, I'll save you by my grace through the doing and dying of my son. If he's perfect, you'll be redeemed. If he suffers and dies for you, you'll be redeemed. That's a better promise. See, that's a promise you can hang your soul on, isn't it? See, in order to bring, redeem his people and bring them back to God, the surety had to pay the price. In, in our text, Jacob gives us a picture of that. Look back here at verse 11, Genesis 43. And their father Israel said unto them, If it must be so now, do this. 
Take the best fruits in the land and your vessels. Carry down the manna present, a little balm and a little honey, spices, myrrh, nuts, and almonds, and take double money in your hand. And the money that was brought again in the mouth of your sacks, carry it again in your hand. For adventure, it was an oversight. Take also your brother. Arise and go again unto the man. And God Almighty give you mercy before the man. That he may send away your other brother and Benjamin. If I be bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. Now Jacob tells him, take enough money to pay the full price for the corn. For the corn that we got the first time, you know, they put the money. Maybe they didn't mean to put the money back. So we'll, we'll pay for that, what we already got. Take enough money in your hand to, to buy more corn too. And give them a little present. Something that's sweet. Something that tastes good. Something sweet. Jacob wants to make sure our boys were paying the full price here. But Lord Jesus Christ became surety for his people. And he agreed. I'll pay the price in full. The father's not just going to overlook the debt because the son assumed the debt. No, the price is going to be paid in full. And he paid that price with his own suffering and his own death. And it seems to me like this this gift that Jacob's talking about, the sweetness, the honey, and the myrrh, and the almonds, and the, and the nuts, and the spices, <coughs> seems to me like that's the sweetness of the gospel. That's given to us. That's given to believers. The sweetness of his love. The sweetness of how he condescended to be made one with us. The sweetness of his mercy. In Christ our surety, all of God's elect are safe. It's because he paid the price. He paid the price God's law demanded. He gave perfect obedience. He gave the price justice to man. Justice to man's death. He died for the sin of his people. And when in verse 14, Jacob says, and God Almighty give you mercy before the man. Here's why God's elect receive mercy from God. It's because Christ paid the debt. We receive mercy because Christ already suffered everything that we deserve. Now that's a way better surety than anything we'd ever come up with. Aren't you thankful to be able to rely on and rest in Christ our surety? That's a blessing. I hope God will bless that to your hearts. Now I'm going to, uh, after the service, stay up here so uh, I don't accidentally infect anybody. I don't. I think I'm getting on the tail end of it, but you don't want what I've had, so I don't have to stand back that door for you. Know I love you. I love you, Lord willing. We'll see you Sunday. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father, how I thank you for this time together. We can gather together with one heart and and one accord to gather together out of the world and hear one more time of Christ our Savior. Father, I pray you'd take your word as it's been preached and you'd use it for your glory. Reveal the glory of Christ our Savior to each heart here this evening. Let us leave here rejoicing in Christ our surety. The responsibility to keep, to save ourselves and to keep ourselves and to bring ourselves all the way through this vile, sinful world and to bring ourselves to glory. That responsibility is not ours. It's Christ's. Father, we're thankful. 
And I pray you'd cause us to rest in him. Father, it's in his name. For his glory we pray. Amen. All right. Sean, come lead us in a closing hymn.